So you can turn to Matthew 13 so long. And while you turn there, I had an image that the Lord gave me concerning uh, the message today. And it has to do, obviously, with the parable of the sower. And what I saw was a farmer going and sowing seed, much as what I would imagine it would have been like at that time. And as I saw that particular thing happen, I saw how the seeds fell in different portions on the different soils, just as we know in the parable of the sower. But then I also saw that people were watching. And as they were watching, I saw that they would discuss with one another. And there was a lot of intrigue about things that were happening. And people would even uh, discuss, uh, especially the parable of 30, 60, and 100, and why those numbers, and what does that all mean. But then the Lord showed me a different vantage point. And he showed me that those people were simply watching it either on TV or on electronics or on some screen of sort, they were watching it. So for them, it was simply a story. It was not a reality, something that the Lord was doing in, in their lives. And this parable is a parable. It's a story that explains something to us, but it explains very real realities in each and every one of our lives. It's not something that we should take lightly or flippantly, and we must not forget that the reason that Jesus gave us this parable is for our benefit. And so it's not for our intellect, it's not for our amusement, it's so that we can benefit and grow and grow closer to him. And so with that said, I want to read from Matthew 13 from verse one, and it reads as follows. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And I just wanna stop there. Jesus, even in the way that he ministered, he was concerned for how people received his word so that the effectual ministry would happen. And going so far as to, I'm pretty sure it wasn't, wasn't really the most comfortable thing to get onto a boat, go so that more people could, could listen to him. Uh, but he did so, so that people would come to know his word and come and draw, be drawn close to him. Verse three says, then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, just pray that the Lord bless the reading of his word. And so my first point is the implanted word. And so what happens is this, a, a sower comes and, and brings about seed in, in, our, in our lives, and we have a choice. Each soil represents a, a kind of, of heart. So I'm just going to first briefly give an overview of from verse one all the way to 23. We've read from verse one to nine, and that's the physical parable of the sower. Verses 10 to 17 is Jesus' response to why he speaks in parables. And in essence, parables made things of God more plain and easy to those willing to be taught. Yet, at the same time, it made things more difficult and obscure to those who were willingly ignorant. And so there's a will on either part, and the Lord honors our will. And now the question is, are you wanting to be willingly ignorant? Or are you willingly seeking his kingdom? And that plays a big role 
on why or on how we understand things. And so we need to pursue the Lord. We need to read God's word with intent. We need to set our faces forward like a flint. And we cannot just be casual church attendees. We cannot just do, do church because that's part of what we do. But we do so in honor and reverence of God Almighty. God our Father, we come with intention, with intentionality to worship and to be in his presence. When we open up our word every morning or every evening and we have our Bible study, we do so with intention and not just because it's our habit. And so I want to give an example. So many of us perhaps, we will do a Bible study and I found that uh, the the most uh, popular Bible studies tend to be between three and seven days because we know we'll finish them. And as we do those Bible studies, I'm challenging both you and I now, as we do them, how much of those studies do you remember? Because so many times what we do is we come to the Lord in habit, but we don't come to the Lord in habit and intention. So there does need to be a habit that we form, but there needs to be intention behind that habit. We don't just do what we do because we do it. We do it because we love Him. We spend time with him because we want to know him. And we need to be passionate pursuers of God. And so verses 18 to 23, that's the explanation of the parable. And there it speaks about the different soil and the first is seed on path. And here, that's when people hear, but they fail to listen. And I think sometimes we do that. Uh, We ask the Lord for confirmation on something. He gives us He gives us word, we read it like we want to read it, then we ask the Lord for confirmation on something and someone comes to us and then we hear it as we want to hear and we ask the Lord for confirmation and then he does another way where he confirms it but we're not really listening. And I know that this particular parable has to do with the gospel but I want us to all know and realize that there's this continuity that happens in our life where we continually have to make sure that the soil of our heart is right right before the Lord so that his seed can germinate and grow. The second is rocky soil, and I could um, maybe explain it like this, where they are fair weather Christians, where their initial response is positive, and they love the gospel, and they want to come to the Lord, but because of shallowness of heart, the trials cause them to fall away. And then the third is thorny ground, where there's a response to the gospel, but this person is overcome by the worries and greed and worldly desires that choke the spiritual life, that prevent them from being spiritually fruitful. What's happening here is that this person is not willing to give up the world to gain Christ. And so then lastly is the soil we love to hear about. It's the good soil. It's the good soil that good things come from and this speaks about true disciples who accept God's word and their life produce a produces a rich harvest. And you see, if you go look at this parable, you'll see that what distinguishes the soils is actually the response or the fruitfulness. And so we can look into our own heart and ask ourselves, am I being fruitful? Is there 30, 60, or 100 fold happening? Is there a harvest happening? What God or Christ does not say is that the good ground has absolutely no stones or thorns. He just says it's good soil. And so even in our good soil, there might be things that we can consider stones or thorns. But what is said in this parable is that they are not sufficient that they will stop the life or the harvest coming from the seed of God. 
And so the, the power lies not in the soil, but in the seed, and our hearts are the soil. So I want to encourage you that we don't need to try harder. Instead, we should receive more openly from the Lord. And as we receive, we need to hear and listen to his word. And as we do that, things will change in, in our hearts. And so the sense of hearing cannot be better applied than to the word of God. We need to hear the word of God and let his word transform us. And we need to look at ourselves that we may know what kind of hearers are we? What kind of hearer are you being? And so I want to uh, speak a little bit about hearing the word of God. And as I do that, I want to share this statement with you is that the value for the voice of God has to be represented in my value for scripture. My value in the hearing the voice of God has to be represented in my value for scripture. And what I sometimes find is that we can go through times and seasons where we want to hear the voice of God, but we're not reading his word. We're not coming to him. We're not sitting at his feet. We're not listening. We're doing all the talking. We're asking the Lord, please move in this situation. Please move in this situation like this. But we're not listening. And so the value for the voice of God must be represented in my value of scripture. And so I'm gonna read a few uh, scripture verses to you. The first is found in James 1, and it's specifically verse 18. And it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We need to realize it's his will, it is his desire. He ordained it to be that way, that he uses his word so that we can have first fruits. He uses his word so that we can come to him. He uses his word to transform us from the inside out. He has chosen to do that and so that we can bear fruit as his created beings, our lives must be bearing fruit. There must be a harvest that comes as a result of the word of God in our hearts. And so Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it's as we hear the word of God that our faith arises. And if you go look in, in, in biblical times, even when they read to themselves, they would read out loud. And maybe that could, that could get strange in today's day and age because we're not used to it. But I believe that as we hear the word of God, physically hear his word, something happens in our heart that we need to respond to it. And each and every one of those soils, there was a response to the seed. And the response yielded some form of fruit. And so we need to read God's word. There's no excuse for biblical illiteracy. We have so many different translations. If we don't understand one, we can read another one or another three that will give us better understanding of, of what's happening. So my encouragement to you is do not outsource your faith. Do not outsource your faith to the person at the pulpit. Do not outsource your faith to the very spiritual friend that seems to be able uh, to quote every scripture in the King James Version while they pray. Do not outsource your faith. It is your relationship with God Almighty, not someone else's. And we need to each come before the Lord and we need to each sort out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And as we do this, he will strengthen us, he will lead us, he will guide us. We need to be current with God and we need to have our daily bread every day. That's why it's our daily bread. And it's, we cannot live today on yesterday's bread. 
He wants us to live today on today's bread. We need to have a current relationship with God. And you see, this current relationship with God, as we hear his word, as we, as we read his word, and as it starts to cultivate faith in our lives, what happens is faith is the activity that pleases God. And faith is the evidence of a present tense hearing relationship and impact of the spirit of God in our lives. So I want to repeat that one, that faith is the evidence of a present tense hearing relationship and impact of the Spirit of God in our lives. And so James 1, 21 to 23 is where I get the name for the first point of implanted word. It says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we don't act on God's word, we're just deceiving ourselves. We, 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 having, uh, we, we are able to refine how we present ourselves, but we're not really changing what we do. And so if, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And then the, that verse continues to share about how when you leave the mirror, you forget how you looked. And so there's a few things that happen in the scripture that we need to do. The first one is we need to lay aside all filth, filthiness and overflow of wickedness. There's a choice. That soil, that good soil, might have a few rocks, might have a few thorns, and we need to remove those things so that there can be greater yield in the harvest. Put those things aside and do not let any new things come into your life. We need to receive the word of God with meekness. And again, that speaks about our heart posture, and this relates to the parable of the sower that we need to, as the, as the farmer sows and this word comes into our heart, we need to prepare our hearts so that his seed can take root and grow and that there will be a harvest in our lives. And, and we need to understand that with meekness comes humility. So we need to hum, be humble before the Lord. We need to have that current relationship with God. And as we have that current relationship with God today and have our daily bread today and we step into the next day and have our daily bread that day and we step into the next day and have our daily bread that day, that current relationship over time becomes history with God. And then as we have history with God and now we've been seeking the Lord for quite some time and we're going through a, a trial or a tribulation, something that seems way too big, we can look back at this, this history with God and because of reading the word and allowing his word to entrench itself in our hearts, to grow, germinate and bear a harvest, as a result of that, we look back at that history and go, I trust you over and above what I can do in this situation. And so as we do that, there's a response to the word of God and we need to respond to his word daily. We need to respond to his spirit daily. And so as we hear his word, we shall obey his word. And in obeying, there shall be a harvest. And so 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23 states, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. And then take note of what's next. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so you purify your soul by obeying the truth. 
It's just that simple. I think we complicate it. We complicate it with our emotions because oftentimes when we have to obey the truth, it means we need to die to self. And dying to self is hard because if dying were easy, everyone would want to do it. And so dying to self is hard. And as we die to self, there will be fruit. So it's not just by hearing the truth, but obeying the truth. Being born again, we are new creations. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. So we need the seed of God's word to be received into the heart by faith. And the life that that seed produces is incorruptible because the nature of the seed produces the nature of the life. So do not try to place your own seed in your own heart because the nature of the seed produces the nature of the life. And God's seed is incorruptible. And so therefore its life is incorruptible. And the word of God will produce incorruptible seed in our life or incorruptible life in our life. So it's not by our might and it's not by what we do by our efforts, but it's by what? The spirit of God. Which leads me to my second point, the danger of superficial faith. And the reason superficial faith is extremely dangerous is that it focuses on everything that's nice, easy, and what we want to hear. It's about comfort. And so, as I speak about the different aspects, even as a result, in the first point where it was mainly about the word, you would notice that oftentimes when the word was being referred to, the spirit was also being referred to. And we need to understand that we receive the implanted word of God into our heart, but it is by the spirit that something happens. And so we need both word and spirit. But as I speak about the danger of superficial faith, I would be remiss not to share concerning that particular soil because it can be so tricky to spot. And so this particular soil found in Matthew 13 verse seven that says other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. This particular soil can look like someone who seemingly loves the Lord. It can look like someone who reads his word. It can look like someone who seemingly looks like their life is honoring the Lord. But the difference is that God is not actually first in this person's life. And see, we need to place God first. He needs to be our first love and he needs to be our greatest love. Because if he's not our first love and he's not our greatest love, what happens is the worries and greed and worldly desires come and choke the spiritual life of God's seed in our heart. And so there might be an area where you've completely accepted a certain thing of God and there's fruit there, there's a harvest, but there might be another area where the worries of life are getting you down there. And so I would suggest to you that what's happening in that area of your life is that you trust yourself more there than you trust God. And we need to completely submit ourselves to Christ in every area of, your, of our life. Our heart needs to be cultivated so that we respond to Christ and we respond honoring him. And so what happens with someone who is stuck in this kind of cycle is that they are not willing to give up the world to gain Christ. Philippians 1.21 says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we like that scripture, but it's so hard to live that scripture out, isn't it? And we need to forsake all things so that we seek Christ with all that we are. Another more obvious way to point out how it looks like to be living in this kind of way is I would call this the self-help Christian. 
And this person is someone who trusts and believes more in the power of their will to change in accordance to whatever formula or steps or book they're currently reading in that area of their life instead of trusting in the power of God, in the power of the Spirit, in the power of His Word. And the focus can be on effort. And this is dangerous because if we're really honest with ourselves, I think it's really easy for each and every one of us to be there. It is easy to try harder. It is easy to try to be the person who you fix yourself instead of submitting yourself to the Lord as you are and allowing the power of His Spirit to move. We all have worries and society presents this picture of how life should be. But when we choose to, with meekness, accept the implanted word of Christ, our hearts change and our response to the same things change. So we need to cultivate an environment in our heart where the word of God germinates and springs forth life in our life. And we need to trust the Lord more than we trust ourselves. We need to admit that we need the Lord in every aspect of our lives. And so if you don't believe me, Hebrews 5 verses 11 to 14 is what I will read to confirm what I've just mentioned. And it says, there's much more we would like to say about, about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull. I would not like to be called that. Um, and, and don't seem to listen. You have been believers for so long that you ought to be teaching others instead you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know what to do, uh, how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And so, to understand the process of the seed of God's word being implanted into our life and growing, we need to understand that in uh, verse 12, it specifically speaks about how they needed to be teachers, but they were still being infants. They were still needing to be taught. We need to know that we are in a particular place with the Lord, and at different times we may need milk, especially in the beginning, but we need to grow forward so that we need meat. And so the milk of the word speaks of comfort and encouragement, both very good things and important things. But we need to mature so that the word of God provokes and brings about change. The meat of the word of God is the provo provocation of change in our lives. It is the transformational word of God. You see, a superficial faith tends to only want to focus on the comfortable things, the things that are comfortable and the things that are encouraging. The superficial faith doesn't want to go deeper into the more challenging things in life. And we need to know that his word has the power to change us from the inside out, that the seed of his word can grow to bring about much fruit, and we need to respond to his word. We need to desire the promises that the Lord gives us. You need to desire it. And when we desire that he's faithful to give us the desires of our heart, we must desire to be fruitful. We hear about a hundredfold living. We must desire to have a hundredfold life. I think sometimes we want, we want transformation to happen to us. And so you come to Christ, you accept him as Lord and Savior, and then you kind of just hope that life changes automatically. 
And it's not quite that way. There's this pursuit that needs to occur, this pursuit of God the Father, this pursuit of his heart, this pursuit of his presence, of his spirit, and of his word to see what happens, uh, how it should be happening. We need to desire what he wants for us. And so I give you this quote. I will not pursue anything in life that is not his heart, his plan, or his idea for me. And we, that's where we need to be focused. And oftentimes, when it comes to focus, people think that focus is saying yes repeatedly to one thing. I'm gonna tell you now, focus is saying no repeatedly to everything else. And so when you want to focus on that one thing, there are many no's that you have to say so that you can have the bigger yes. And that bigger yes is what transforms your life. And so James 1 verses five through to eight speaks about a mind divided. And it starts off saying, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. And so when we have a divided mind, we become unstable. When we have a divided mind, it's almost as if we stand here and we wanna go somewhere and we think, okay, I need to go there, and then you doubt yourself, so you come back. Okay, but the Lord is saying this, so you doubt yourself and you come back, and then the Lord is saying, go here, and you doubt yourself and you come back, and then you wonder, Lord, why are you not moving in my life? Because our mind is divided. We need to say no to many things and yes to God Almighty. Yes to the work of His Spirit. And when we are double-minded, we invite confusion, anxiety, and worry into our lives. And the way we can so easily become double-minded is by having, having something that maybe we don't even know that we do, but we have what's called a sacro-secular divide, or sacred and worldly divide. And what we do is in the sacred portion of, of our life, we seek God with all that we are. We love him, our prayers sound beautiful, we can quote different, uh, the same scripture in different translations, we pat ourselves on the back because we go to life group, and we do all of those things in the sacred part. And it looks wonderful. But then we've got the secular part, and suddenly we go and do other things there, and we just live life like we did before we met Christ in those areas of our life. And there is no sacro-secular divide. When you come to Christ, you come to Christ now, and you're in his kingdom now, and as a result of that, you need to live like a kingdom ambassador now, like a son of Christ now. Because when you live that way now, his word will change your heart, and there will be a harvest that comes about. And so, do not get distracted. The enemy comes like a roaring lion, but he's not the lion. There's only one lion, and it is the lion of Judah. And he overcomes all things and has overcome all things. And so I want to give you this image to just uh, further uh, make concrete what I'm trying to say. And it's this image of uh, how people get selected to be a part of the, of the Navy SEALs. And so in part of the selection process, so you apply, they, they accept you to go there should you have certain criteria. And then when you get there, there's a bell. And this bell is always available. And if you ring this bell, it means you give up. It means you're going home. You have not been selected if you ring this bell. 
What's very interesting is how when they are doing all of the different exercises, which by the way, they never know how long or how short that exercise is. And so I'll give you an example of one of the exercises. They stand uh, in the shoreline holding a, a log that probably weighs more than what it looks. And as they hold this, the waves are beating them. And they must just hold it, not giving up. And while this is happening, the instructors, the drill instructors are taunting them, saying, just ring the bell. The guy next to you is stronger than you anyway. Just ring the bell. You don't need to go on. You're not worthy of going on. Ring the bell. Taunting them to ring the bell. A superficial faith rings the bell when the time of trials come. And so what I want to encourage you is don't ring the bell. Don't give up, but stand firm in what the Lord has done already in your life, knowing that you've had this current relationship with God for over a period of time, and as a result of that, you have history with Him, and because of this history with Christ, you can say, Lord, I trust you more than what I'm going through. Don't ring the bell. In terms of this image and a superficial faith, what's also very interesting that they have found is that the guys who show up on the first day of training that look mighty impressive. They look like the guys where you look, you look their way and you think there's not a chance that he's not getting in. Uh, I call them pizza slices because their shoulders are so broad, I'm not sure how. But um, they look very, very impressive. Those are the guys that normally don't get in. Because a superficial faith looks impressive. It looks like you have it all sorted out. But when push comes to shove, when the taunting begins, when the hardship starts and continues and you don't know when it's going to end, a superficial faith rings that bell. And so what I have found is that many very mature believers, when you meet them at first glance as a person, and I don't say this at all disrespectfully in any way, they're not anything to be impressed about. But you know what is impressive? how they trust God in all things. And in their unimpressive nature, they trust God with all they are. And as they do, the Lord uses them mightily. And so John 3, verse 34 says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There's nourishment in doing the will of God in our own lives. And sometimes that's difficult and sometimes it will, it will be, you'll be thinking like you've gone crazy for doing it, but there's nourishment in doing the will of God. And so I read this quote to you again, I will not pursue anything in life that is not his heart, his plan, or his idea for me. And so please understand what I'm not saying is we need to become so heavenly minded that we become no earthly good in situations. But what I am saying is we need to be so devoted to the Lord that when he places us in a situation, the kingdom of Christ emanates from within us because his spirit is in us and because of his spirit is in us, it, in, the rest of the people around us encounter him before we even say a word. And, my, and for, for some, that may sound like a very foreign concept, but I'm telling you now, there's power just in his presence being in you. If we consecrate our lives and we choose to say yes to him above all these other things, you will see how even your mere presence in that place, because it's not your presence, but God's presence, will change what is happening in the atmosphere in that place. And so we need to desire what the Lord desires. The Lord will position us in very purposeful positions. A heart rendered to the Lord is a heart effective for the Lord. And because of our heart, 
everything springs from our heart. And if our heart is ready and, and, and our, the soil of our heart is fertile to his word, I tell you now, he is faithful. His word does not return to him void. His, his word will cause a transformation in your life. And so this brings me to my third point, a hundredfold life, a radiant Christian life. And again, it's about word and spirit. And we, we need God's word to anchor us and we need his spirit to propel us forward when we need to be propelled. And so Jeremiah 20 verse nine says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. To have our hearts be a soil that has an environment that is conducive to the seed of the word of God to grow means that we'll be in continual response to the Lord in a way that cultivates growth. A radiant Christian life is absolutely committed to following after Christ, to be more like him, to think like him, to act like him, to love like him. A radiant Christian life is something that brings about change wherever that person goes. So if we look at people who did live radiant Christian lives, such as the disciples or many other people after the disciples who were used mightily before us, we see that they gave witness to a life ablaze with love and adoration for God that nothing else could extinguish. So I'm gonna read that again. They gave witness to a life ablaze with love and adoration for God that nothing else could extinguish. You see, the Bible leads us to the heart of God and the Bible should be read regularly, slowly, and we need to meditate on the word of God all the time. And as we do that, we allow the spirit of God to open up our understanding. And so there's this quote that says, it is one thing to believe the Bible, but something else altogether to allow the Bible through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to impact and change our lives. We need to read God's word with anticipation and with desire, desire to encounter everything that's in his word. And I'm actually uh, just now reminded, I didn't plan on sharing it, there's a story of a, of a gentleman who was seeking the Lord and he said, but Lord, I want everything that, that's in his word. And then the Lord said, well, do you want, what do you want in the word? He said, no, I want everything in the word. And then he said, if you can find it, you can have it. And so we need to read God's word. And as we read God's word, we don't just do it as a habit, but we do it to let the seed of God's word entrench, be implanted in our hearts. It is the hungry heart that encounters God. If we don't build up that hunger for the Lord, you will see that we will simply go through the motions. If you want to live a life that is truly on fire for the Lord, you will see that when your heart hungers, that is when he uses you. And so if you go read in the Old Testament and you study the Old Testament tabernacle, you will, you will see a, a wonderful representation of what we need to do in our daily lives. And there, I'm not gonna go into too much detail, I want to give the essence of, of, of what was happening, but there you will see that the priest would go through various stages where he separated himself from natural light. And then eventually, he entered into the presence of God Almighty. He entered into the presence of Jehovah, and in that presence there was light. There was this illumination of God's presence. 
And so what I'm not saying is we need to try and become legalistic about things in how we approach God, but we need to approach God with a hungry heart, separating ourselves from those things which could become stones and thorns in our hearts so that our, the soil of our heart is one that is an environment where that seed can grow. And we need to do so with reverence to the Lord. What I'm saying is because of this grace that we have, let us love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Do not outsource your faith, but with everything that you are, in everything that you do, seek Him. There's nothing too small and nothing too great that we cannot bring before the Lord. And so the difference between a nominal Christian life and the radiant Christian life is that the radiant Christian life has made it a habit to respond yes to the Spirit of the Lord. A radiant Christian's life answers always yes, God. If God had said it, then I do it. And so I want to challenge you with this. Delayed obedience is in fact a disobedience. And so when you hear a prompting from the Lord, yes, God, and start, take the first step. But this is only possible with the heart posture of submission to the Lord. If we go look throughout the Bible, the heart is depicted as the fountainhead of a person's life. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. All of a person's loves, fears, and whom they trust issue from our heart. The heart is where the choice is made. And perhaps that's why Jesus' response concerning what the greatest commandment is started with the heart. So do not let anyone else form your opinion. Get on your knees with an open Bible. Surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit and see what God does in your life daily. If you do this daily, I can assure you the Lord will do something great in your life. And what I want to also just bring into perspective here is that the great thing that it does in your life so many times because of our, our very modern perspective on life, we tend to think that it means my life will get easier. But when he does something great in your life, maybe, just maybe, he will put you into all the uncomfortable situations that you actually don't want to be in, but there will be fruit and there will be a harvest. And so I'm reminded now of a, of a missionary that I heard speaking once on, on the radio, and um, he didn't want to be a missionary. So he, he's from South Africa, and he, he told the Lord, Lord, I don't, really, I, I don't want to go far. So if you really want to use me, you can use me in the, the neighboring cities of where I want. And the Lord told him to go to another province. So he then said, okay, fine, Lord, I'll do that. But then he did, and then afterwards he said, Lord, I will go to the neighboring provinces, but please don't send me to a neighboring country. And what do you think God did? <laughs> and then he said, okay, fine, I'm fine with neighboring countries to South Africa, but please don't send me to North Africa or to another area. And then the Lord sent him to North Africa. All right, I'm fine with the continent of Africa, but please don't send me to other places. And then the Lord sent him to Asia. And then he started to realize that maybe he's doing this in the wrong way. <laughs> I don't know, I would have probably still been going, but please, Lord, not to this place. Um, <laughs> but we need to respond to God. And when we do, and we say, yes, Lord, he will take us where he knows he needs to take us. It might not be comfortable, but it will be fruitful. 
So do not let anyone else form your opinion. Get on your knees with an open Bible. Surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit and see what God does in your life on a daily basis. Encounter the Lord. Don't just read with your mind, going through it flippantly, trying to learn. Let's split Matthew up in these, in, in these ways and in this part of the gospel it's like this and in this part it's like this and this is why it was split up in this way. That's all very good. And if you want to do Bible study like that, go for it. But that should not be the end goal. As you do that, the end goal should be a heart on fire for the Lord and a harvest of a hundredfold in your life because of you responding to Christ. And so we need to share the same encounter that we have with others. We encounter the Lord, and because we encounter God, we share it with other people. People do not catch what you say, they catch what you have. And if you do not have an encounter with Christ Almighty, then what are you going to share? If you only have theological head knowledge of God, that is, that is what you're going to share. But when you have an encounter with Christ, that is what you share. And people will encounter Christ through your life. And so as I draw to a conclusion, I have this question of why specifically a hundredfold? And so if you go read different commentaries, etc., they speak about 30 and 60, and they say actually 30 and 60 don't seem to the best of their knowledge to have very specific meanings, but a hundredfold does. And here's the meaning. In Genesis 26 verse 12, it says, Isaac planted crops in that land, and, that's, and that same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. You see a life of response to Christ, a radiant Christian life where we respond, yes, God, all the time, where we respond to the word, to the seed of God's word in our life will bring about a harvest, and this harvest will be a blessing. It will be a blessing not only for ourselves, but to the people around us. It will be a hundredfold life. And so the, the good soil in the parable of the sower represents a receptive heart, and when it is applied to our daily Christian life and walk with the Lord, it signifies a heart open to God's word, allowing his word to take root deeply, fostering spiritual growth, and ultimately yielding a radiant Christian life abundant with fruit of faith, love, and grace. And so please stand, and as we get ready to, to close. I just want to read to you some effects of the word of God. And each one of these effects could probably be a sermon all on its own. But the first one is that it produces faith. The second one is that the seed of God's word brings about salvation. It brings about spiritual nourishment. It brings about mental illumination. I couldn't find another way of saying it, but what I'm trying to say without being weird is that he lights up the things that we need to see and he makes us see things as he does. He gives us his thoughts on those things. It provides physical healing. I'm telling you now, the word of God provides physical healing and I can tell you of many testimonies in my own life about how that happened provides physical healing. It makes possible for us to have victory over sin and Satan. When we arm ourselves and equip ourselves with the sword, it makes us to have victory. It allows us to sanctify and cleanse ourselves as we live our life in accordance to his word. And it is a spiritual mirror. 
where as we see ourselves in this mirror and we start to yearn and desire for what is written in God's word, we realize how far we are from that and without condemnation, we say, Lord, cut those things out so that my life can better represent that which you want it to. May I be made in your image more and more. 